Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Um, this is the funny part of this, and you all appreciate this, I think. And I had said ever since verse 33 of chapter 11 that we've been going one verse at a time. Last night I sat down and began to finalize everything, get it all you know, put to paper and, and, and formatted the way we wanted to go with this tonight. And at the top of the paper, it said Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. That was my ambition. We will be covering verse 3 tonight. <laughs> and we will finish up the rest. Hopefully, by the end of Sunday, by the last service, my plan is to be all the way down through verse 8. That's the plan. Verse 3, there's just a lot here I believe that we have to cover, that we need to know. Um, so we will be doing that tonight. And what's interesting about this, and not interesting, but um, we, we should expect this. Because everything is building up to this point. It's, it's everything that we have read prior to chapter 12, verse 3, has brought us to chapter 12, verse 3. This isn't a standalone verse. This isn't just some random verse that gets inserted in there, and it's just mysteriously there. It's there as it has been built on everything before it. And what we see here is in verse 3, and going down for the next several verses, it is building off of what we've just got through discussing. It's in chapter 12, verse 1. In light of everything we saw uh, or talked about in the previous 11 chapters, and, and very specifically in the last few verses of chapter 11, that's why he says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, right, and, and by the mercies of God. Everything that we've heard about the mercy of God leading up to this brings us to the therefore, and he says that we're to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Well, we're going to take that in light of that, and it's going to trigger what we talk about tonight. It's a continuation of what has been previously stated. And that's where we come to verse 3 tonight. And um, so let's read down from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to verse 3, and then let's go through and uh, just start to, to look at these verses more closely and see how they all come together. Okay? Let's read it. It says, Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This will be the verse we park for tonight. We hang out here. It says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, holy is your name. Lord, let us come to acknowledge that above everything else tonight, that your name is holy, that you are holy. It is what makes you God, is that there's no one like you. You are other than, you are set apart. There's only one God, and it is you. And you are holy. 
And Lord, we pray tonight as we come to these texts and these verses that we'll discuss tonight, that you would illumine our eyes and our minds, God. Lord, so we could understand the depths and the truths of your word. Lord, we want to renew our mind right now. We want to be renewed in the knowledge of you. God, we want our minds to be on fire with knowledge of you. We want it to be, God, just uh, all that consumes our mind is just your words. Lord, let us meditate on them. And Lord, give us understanding in everything that we read that we could present our bodies as a living sacrifice to you properly, appropriately, acceptably, as you've called us to do. Again, God, help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Okay, well, let's, let's begin to dive in here, but I want to show you something that we have to discuss. That when we have dis- preached on verses 1 and 2, the last few services we've been together, that they are a necessity for us to truly understand verse 3. Without the understanding of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12, then we really don't have any context to come to verse 3. And here's what it begins to teach us. And I want you to look at these concepts here uh, in verses 1 and 2. We, we, we won't spend all the time on this because we've, we've went over those and you guys remember every bit of it, right? Everything. By the mercy of God, we're to present our bodies, a living sacrifice, And part of that living sacrifice is to bring our mind to God, to bring our wholeness to God, to bring all of us to Him, and that includes our mind in renewal daily. This is part of this service of worship. And in doing that, we are not conformed to this world, but rather we go through a metamorphosis. We are transformed so we can be more conformed to the image of God, which those whom He foreknew and He predestined, that's what He predestined us to be, conformed to the image of God. This is where we left off. So now we come to this text in verse 3, and what he's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to show us another practical example. And in verse 3, down for the next several verses, he's going to begin to talk about gifts that he gives believers. These are gifts that, that are given by God for his specific purpose. These are gifts that not everyone gets equally. These are gifts that are distributed by the Spirit as He sees fit by His will. We find that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, where He says that God, the Spirit of God, distributes these gifts by His own will. So not every person has the same gift in the family and the body of Christ. This will eventually lead us on Sunday to discuss the analogy of the body of Christ. That the body is made up of many members, and not every member has the same part, and not every member has the same function, but you have to have the whole body together, working seamlessly and flawlessly together, each one doing their part, each one maybe having a different role, some uh, doing this, some doing that, and that's not to lessen the one or make great the other, because God is the one who distributes them. It's for His glory. And if we're not careful, we can get high and mighty, and we can think, well, look at my gift. Look at this. I don't have that little job. And the one on the other is like, well, I don't have that big quote-unquote job. And there becomes disunity, and we start to have some jealousy. And these are the things that are not supposed to be in the body of Christ. 
This is what we have to learn, and this is what Paul's going to teach us. And here, here he comes to the first, uh, in verse 3, and right off the gate, what does he say? He tells us not to think more highly of himself uh, than you ought. Why would he say that? Well, because if we're not careful, pride begins to set in really quickly based on some of the gifts that we may have. But I want to show you, before we start to dive into that, how this sets up. Verses 1 and 2, and it talks about the mercy of God. right? So if you could think about it this way, those verses are the, the vertical. They're the you and God. They're the, He has shown mercy on you, He has changed you, He has regenerated you, so therefore, in response to that mercy, you now take your life and surrender it back to Him. So this is the vertical. God has given you mercy. In response to that mercy, you take your body, you take your life, and you surrender it back to Him. That's the vertical. That's number one in a Christian life. It has to come first. But then right after the vertical comes the horizontal. After what He has done for us and we surrender our lives back, the next call in our Christian life is what? To serve others. That's the order that it goes. So you see verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 are the vertical. He has shown you mercy in light of His mercy. Come and bring your life to Him and have this fellowship and this spiritual worship. That is you and God. That is the vertical. And then he comes to verse 3 and says, however, you're going to have some spiritual gifts now. So now go to the horizontal. It's God first, and then when your life has changed and you're a Christian, we are called to serve. We are called to go out and reach people and grow in the church. We can see this paralleled, right? Think about this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39. We see this, and I want you to think about the vertical and the horizontal here as he begins to answer some of these Sadducees here. Here's what he says. He says, well, in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. There was no, there was no good motive in their hearts. And you know what? The same thing that we see thousands of years prior to where we're at now, the heart of man hasn't changed. The heart of man is evil. It says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Look at the vertical, then look at the horizontal. Here's what it comes. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the vertical. Your eyes are toward heaven. Here's the greatest commandment. You have to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I've mentioned this a few times, but I think every time I come to this text that I have to bring it up. Have you ever for five minutes of a day loved the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? I have not. He says that's the greatest commandment. We don't understand how short we fall of God's glory. 
Well, I didn't, I didn't go murder someone. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. He says the greatest commandment is you love Him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. I can't do that because I've already failed in that. I could never complete that perfectly. However, there was one who was able to love the Father with all of His heart, with all of His soul, and with all of His mind. And in the imputation of His righteousness to me, that loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind is now imputed because God fulfilled it. That's number one. In light of God's mercy, you should love Him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the vertical. But now look at the horizontal. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's God. And then once that's there, God has given you gifts. He's given you the people around you. He's given you the abilities. And now you go. It's the vertical. And then it's the horizontal. This is what Paul is going to be teaching as we go through this. We must remember this. The verses ahead of this in verse, that we talk about in verse 3, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, they are linking this together. And now we come to verse 3. And let's begin to read it. It says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than he ought to think. I just want to stop here for a second. And I think that I, I could get some agreement here is that when you begin to understand the doctrines of grace, and you begin to understand the mercies of God, and you begin to understand that it's nothing you could have ever done or ever do for this salvation, and you begin to understand that the only reason that you are a Christian is by the mercy of God, and when you understand how hopeless and helpless you are without God, when you understand what true mercy is, and you understand what true grace is, I know because I've seen it in almost everyone in this church, I don't know how you could ever be boastful or ever think more highly of yourself than you ought. How can you? How can you? I never truly understood how to even uh, to process that verse until recently. Because whether we like it or we don't, if you don't believe that God is sovereign over salvation, if you don't, you may not admit it. But it's very hard to really grasp what true humility is. Because it goes something like this. If God calls everyone equally, He gives the grand call to everyone. And now He sets back and He says, Okay, I'll wait on you. And some will say yes and some will say no. Well, what makes the one who says yes different than the one who said no? Well, they had to do something. They made a better choice. They were smarter. They were wiser. There was something in them. 
God, God didn't have the final say in the salvation. You did. God wasn't sovereign over the salvation. He was waiting on you. So then you come to the point where you say, well, yes, God, he drew me and he did this. However, it had to be something of me because he couldn't have saved me without me. He ha- I had to give him permission to rescue me and to save me and to set me free. See, look at me. That person said no. That person said no. He called us all the same. But look at me. And until you understand that's not how it goes, you can never truly understand the humility that's found on the other side. You can't. It literally breaks you to your core because He chose you for nothing good you've done. Not a choice, not a decision, but because of His mercy and His purpose, His goodwill. You see, when you understand salvation, there's nothing to boast about. That's why Paul says continuously, I will never boast except for in the cross of Christ. Then we continue on into salvation, and if we think, Mark, that we have to keep the salvation, then you will stand in heaven and say, well, I'm here because I kept the faith. I did enough good. That person, they lost it. That person lost it, but not me. Look at me. I did enough. You know what? I'm convinced that the Bible is true when it says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. It came from Him, and He will finish it. You see, this is why the first two verses are saying, in light of God's mercy, you have to present your bodies. What other response do we have? Then God, this is all from you. It's not from me. It is you and you alone. That's why you get all the glory. There's nothing that I can stand and boast about. It wasn't like that I rose above everyone else and came to my senses. There's nothing to boast about in me. So in salvation, there's nothing to boast about, and it brings us humility. If you see in Luke 18, the parable there of the the tax collector and the Pharisee, do you remember how that goes? One of them goes there and he sees the tax collector and he says, thank God that I'm not like this guy. Thank God I'm not as bad as that guy. And what does the lowly tax collector say? His head is down and he can't even look up to heaven. And he says, God have mercy on me. I'm not even worthy to look up to you. You see the difference? That's why God says, I come for the humble and the brokenhearted, the ones that know they cannot do it. So we see this theme at the start of our salvation. It humbles us. It breaks us. There's nothing to boast about in our salvation, in our Christian walk. Paul is laboring that point all the way through the first 11 ver- or chapters of Romans. He hits it strong in the first two verses of chapter 12. In light of God's mercy, surrender back to God. And now he's going to pick up and say, in light of God's mercy, now you go and use your gifts for God. Your gifts are not for you. And your gifts are not for me. Your gifts are for God. You remember the gifts that are irrevocable? He gives them as he wants to give. He gives them because they're from him. And now they're through him. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible says this, It is God who works in and through you 
to fulfill His good purpose. So now God gives you the gifts. He gives you mercy and salvation. And then it it humbles you. And then He comes and after salvation, then He gives you these gifts that He wants used from you. He'll use you to accomplish His goodwill. But He will give you the gifts, the talents, the abilities to further His kingdom. It's the vertical first. And then it's the horizontal. All these are given from God. And at the end of this tonight, here's what we're going to know. That not only do we bring our whole bodies to Him, but do you know what is also included in that whole body of sacrifice? The gifts that He's given you. That you bring them to God. See, they're from Him, and they're through Him, and you know they're to Him. They're for Him. He gives you the gifts so that you can use them. He works them through you so they glorify Him. So when we don't do that, you see the ramifications. It's the gifts of God. They're from Him. This is what Paul is going to say. It's the vertical, then the horizontal. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. He says, once you have a true understanding of mercy and grace and what God has done, there's absolutely zero room for pride and arrogance in any aspect of life. God has given us everything, including the gifts, the abilities, the talents that we have. They are from Him, they're not from us, and are given individually by His will. They're also through Him and to Him. We use the talents that God gave us for His glory. He uses our gifts and they accomplish all that He desires. It's not of us. Again, there's no room for pride. You know, I've heard this before. I've heard preachers get up and, 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 and say, well, listen, we've put so much work into the church, that's why the congregation is like it is. That's absolutely false. Do you know why there's a specific number in every church in America? Because that's how many God has allowed to be in that church. The gifts are not from you. The gifts are not your gifts. You've never done anything on your own. I've never done anything on my own. It's all from God. It's all to God. It's for His glory. We see this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They have this debate where some are saying, well, Apollos, we're following him, and some are going to fall, follow Paul. And listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 7, Paul says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. God was using those talents. He was using what he gave He was the one who caused the growth. So it is neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. It's not you and your talents. It's nothing about us. God has distributed the abilities, and He says, they're going to be for my glory. I've given you these gifts, and everybody's gifts are different. Some of us... Listen, we may say, I know, I know what my gift is. I know what my ability is. And some may not know right off the bat. But I promise you this, every believer, every true Christian, every regenerated soul has a gift from God. It may be behind the scenes. It may be where no one knows except for God. It may be where everybody knows, but everybody has a purpose. And everybody has a talent and a gift from God, because that's what the Bible teaches. 
We can never be prideful. We can never be arrogant based on these gifts because God has given them and we can't compare ourselves. I find this, in just all the years in church, you see this, right? And, and we, have, we have some people that, you know, it's like, hey, we see this gift and, and then, well, we don't have that gift and, boy, I wish we could do this. And, and what Paul's going to teach is this. When you look at your gifts, never be prideful in those gifts. And never compare your gift to another person's gift. Because if we're not careful, and we say, well, I see them doing that, and they get a lot of glory, and I see them over here, and I wish I could do that, and we start to think, well, maybe I'll go over here and start to try this. And I'll get over here, and I'll dabble in this, and see, and you know what? If that's not your gift, and that's what my God has not called you into, it's never going to work. Not everybody is called to do the same thing. We see this over and over through Scripture. He gives some to do this, he gives some to do that, and we'll go into these a little bit more on Sunday. Everybody has a different gift. Everybody has a different role. And here Paul is saying in this verse, he's saying, listen, that you have to not think more highly of himself as, than that he ought, but to think so much as to have sound judgment as God has allowed are allotted to each a measure of faith. It's different for everyone. And it's a mindful thing. It's not an emotional thing. We don't say, well, it would feel really good if I could do that, or if I could jump in and do this. Or He says, think about the abilities God has given you. Make a sober assessment of what God has given you. And do what He's called you to do. And don't try to be like someone else. Because God has given it as His will. And if God is perfect in everything, then the gifts and the talents He gave you, they're perfect as well. The talents that He gave you are for the people around you as well. Make no mistake about it, the people you're around is no accident. There's no coincidence that you work where you work or you're around who you're around or you go to church where you go to church. There's no coincidence that God has planned everything and given you the abilities that you could use to maximize His glory. It's all for His glory. You see the theme that's running here? He's given the grace. He's given you everything in salvation. It's all because of His mercy. Bring all your body back to Him. And oh, by the way, one of those things He wants in return are the gifts. The vertical's here, the horizontal's there. We are called to serve. It says that we have to discern and, and really think about the measure of faith for the specific gifts that He's given us. And God has given us the faith to believe, right? We know that. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says that God it has been granted to us not only to believe but to suffer for Christ. He's given us the faith. So he gives us the faith first, and then he gives us a measure of the faith for the gifts that he will give us. And I had, wrote, had written this down, and I had mentioned it earlier, but listen to this faith, because I believe that the faith that we have to believe in Christ is from God. Like, we didn't come up with this faith on our own. We, we weren't in our sinful nature and been like, oh, got some faith here, let me pull it out. No, no, no. The faith to believe is given is what Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says. And I don't know if I misquoted this earlier, but when I said that it is God who works in and through us to fulfill His purpose, 
That's Philippians 2.13. And I don't know if I'm thinking I may have not said that correctly. If I didn't, it's 2.13. But listen to this verse about God giving us the faith, not only in salvation, but also in the gifts to complete these and perfect them. Listen, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's renewing of the mind. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. How many times have you read that in your life and you just gloss right over it? Who's the author of faith? It is God. Who gives you the faith to believe? It is God. How can you know that you'll be in heaven besides the golden chain and 99% of all the verses in the Bible? Because He's the author. And He's the perfecter. Not me. For us to say that God can save us, promise us inheritance with the Holy Spirit, and then to say that we can lose it goes against the face of every scripture that talks about He loses none. Or we're sealed. Or this one who says He's not the also, oh, just the author, but He's the perfecter. And if He can give it, then He's the one who perfected it. Let us never blaspheme the name of God that he can't do these things. He's the author. He's the finisher of the faith. Who, set, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and the finisher of faith. But then he also gives us each according to a measure of faith for the gifts that we will have. You see, there's the vertical first and then the horizontal. It's the faith to believe. It's the faith that He saves us with, and then He gives them a lot of measure of faith for the gifts that we will have. Vertical, horizontal. You see the theme running through. Now you see the importance of the first two verses of this chapter as it comes to this now. Because if we don't have the vertical portion of this, then we can never serve God. You can't just go out and start serving God and start serving the Christian, uh, the, the family of God and the world. You can't do that if you don't have the relationship and the salvation first because these are the gifts that come from God. It has to be in that order. And we also see this um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of God's, or Christ's gift. So he, he lots it out to this measure of grace. So I just want to read a couple verses on humility because he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Why? Could, why? Again, in light of God's mercy, if you truly know what mercy is, you can never be, you can never be arrogant. That's just the bottom line. You can't be arrogant if you understand the mercy of God. But let's listen to what the Bible says in some of these passages on humility. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. What's that? What does he mean? What is the manner worthy of the calling you've been called? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. The first thing he says that you want to see a, uh, how a true life uh, uh, that's worthy of the calling is it's humility. You see, you see that now. 
Because how does this chapter start out? In view of God's mercy. In light of God's mercy, if you think about it for three seconds and you know what God's mercy is, you realize that the only proper response is humility. You see, it just flows out of you. And then we take that same humility that God has given to us and we take that and give that to the people that we serve and to the world around us. Because He has set the example for us. What does a Christian mean? To be Christ-like. If we say we're in Christ, we have to walk as He walked. He walked in all humility. We're going to see that here a little bit later. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, it says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Though those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He's talking about this as we are interacting with other people. And this is the characteristics we're supposed to have. How do we come to that point? In view of God's mercy. The vertical lets us walk in the horizontal. Matthew 23, verse 11 through 12 says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. James 4, 6, and 10 says, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. They're all through the, they're all through the Bible. Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Romans 12, 16, which we'll get to there in the next few services. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't think that you are higher than you are. Always remember that in every day you walk, the reason that you have that breath is because of His mercy. The reason that you are a Christian, before we go around acting like we are everything, that the only reason that we are a Christian has nothing to do with you and me, it is by His mercy. How can we go around being... We do it, don't we? Do you know why I think we do this? We totally ignore the first verse of this chapter in view of the mercies of God. I don't know how else you could get around it. If you stop for a second and think about the mercy God has shown on you that you did not deserve, we just start to understand our place in comparison to the king of the world. It's when we forget God's mercy that He's shown on us that the pride begins to come. And the arrogance begins to set in. And we begin to think more highly of ourselves than what we ought. And if you stop and think about times it's been in your life, if you're really honest and you start to just boil it down, it comes to that. Let us never forget God's mercy. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Proverbs 11, verse, 12, or verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high, on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what I mentioned earlier in Luke 18. Listen to this story. And I promise you this, that this individual who goes away um, justified before God, he will always remember God's mercy. Listen to this. In verse 9 of Luke 18, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Sound familiar? And viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. You ever said that? You ever thought, man, God, thank you that I haven't done that in my life. God, thank you I haven't been that low in my life. God, you know, I mean, when you found me, I mean, I wasn't that bad, Right? I mean, I wasn't that bad. Worthy of eternal damnation, but not that bad. If we're not careful, this is what we do. We look at the low and the dirty. And the one who's an addict. Or the one who's a harlot. Or the one who... We just start to fill in what we think we're better than before Christ. We weren't that bad. Oh, when you saved me, God, you really didn't have that hard a time. It was I mean, look at me. Church, I've been in church. I wasn't that bad. This is what the tax collector, or they're doing to the tax collector. God, thank you, I'm not like this guy. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I think I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine just sitting there pointing at him? Even like this guy. Thank you, God, I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week. You know, the many that come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Or didn't we do that? Or didn't we give? Or didn't we do this in your church? I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful. To me, the sinner. Do you see the two? God, thank you, I'm not like this. And the one can't even look to heaven. And he says, God, be merciful. God, it's all on your mercy. Or I have no hope. Do you see the difference here? One was proud, and one was like we talked about the other night in Matthew chapter 11. He said, but those who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, as some translations will say, come to me and I'll give you rest. You know you don't have hope without God. 
in light of God's mercy, how could we ever be proud? In light of God's mercy, how could we ever give ourselves credit for anything? When we wake up tomorrow, the very breath that you take is from God. The very people that God has allowed you to be around is from God. The very the abilities, the talents that He's given you are from God. And it's all because of His mercy. That's why this chapter begins the way it does. In view of God's mercy. Bring your bodies and your lives to me as a living sacrifice. And He's going to include those gifts. Those are for my glory, not yours. Listen to this as He tells this at the end of this story, this parable. I tell you, this man, the one who couldn't look to heaven, who cried out for mercy, this man went to his house justified. Let that sink in just for a second. He simply said, God, I can't. I can't. I, I don't have the accolades to ever. I don't, I don't pay the tithe. I don't do this. I do. That doesn't even matter. None of that will get you righteousness anyway. What was he looking for for his righteousness? Mercy. That's salvation. In light of that, that's why we bring every part of our lives to God, including the gifts that He will give us. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's why over and over in the New Testament, Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, oh, listen, you're not sick. I come for the sick. The physician came for the sick, and if you're not sick, I didn't come for you because you don't realize you got a problem. But the one, the tax collector, who knows he has no hope. That's who I came for, the lowly of heart. This is what he's saying here. And I'll just make it real quick brief. Uh, if you look at this, can you tell me uh, his sinner's prayer? God, have mercy on me. He didn't quote a, a list of things he had to say. Now repeat after me. Inside his soul, he knew he had to do one thing. Ask for the mercy of God. And in that, he went away justified. Philippians chapter 2, which we'll come to in a little bit in greater context, but verse 3 and 4 says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Boy, isn't that a hard verse? There's not, I wonder how many people across America have that verse underlined in their Bible. Look out for others more than yourself. Remember the two commands that he said at the start? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Why can we do this? Why can we say this? How could this even be possible? How can you love someone above yourself? Well, we have to look to the example that was given to us. And God showed us the way. 
And this can only be done by a regenerated soul. It has to start with the vertical and then spread to the horizontal. We have nothing to boast about in ourselves in any aspect of life. Salvation, our Christian walk, our faithfulness, none of that is possible without God. That's why the Christian life has to be one of humbleness and humility. And the gifts we have to serve others as well is a gift, and there's nothing to boast about. To God be the glory. Now, I want to read some verses here about Jesus comes to serve. Because the, the, the master, the servant is not above the master, and if Jesus led the example, we have to too. Listen to this. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, this is Jesus saying this. Now listen to this. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be slave of all. Listen to this, one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You almost like that work that he was doing. And to give his life as a ransom for all. Oh, yours doesn't say all. It doesn't. It says many. Because he didn't die for every person. He died for the sheep. He purchased the church with his blood. That's what the great exchange is all about. He took the sin of those that he would impute his righteousness to. That's the great exchange. But he came to serve he come. Think about where Christ came from. He came from the glory of heaven. You're talking about a humbleness that we can't fathom. When we talk about the hypostatic union, when we talk about how the Spirit of God, the Logos, left heaven and wrapped himself in flesh and took on the form of a man, fully God, or truly God, truly man, two unique natures in one. Do we understand what humility that was? He took on the likeness of man to redeem man. He's leading the example. He's the God of everything. And he humbled himself to serve. And not just serve, but lay his life down as a ransom for many. He's leading by example here. It's his obedience to the Father that allows to come and serve for those who he would die for. Luke 22, verse 24 through 27, similarly says this, And there arose a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to the greatest. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is, just a, this is a cross-reference to what we just read. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. 
Continuing on in Mark 9, verse 33 through 35, he says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, which, uh, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed which of them was the, of them was the greatest. So here's their conversation. Hey, guys, which one do you think is going to be the greatest? Who is going to be the greatest among us? He knows this. And now he's like, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> now they're embarrassed. And they realize how ridiculous that question is and that, that topic is. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest preacher? Who's the greatest witnesser? Who's the greatest at this? Look what I did over here. Look at me. Who's the greatest? Setting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he should be the last of all and the servant of all. How do we serve? By the gifts he's given us. They're for his glory. These works are prepared beforehand to honor God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're supposed to let our works shine before men. So why? They glorify you and me? So they see the glory of God. That's what he tells us in Matthew. So they see the Father, and they give the glory to Him. Now listen to this. As I believe, this is some of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. There is so much to this. This is Paul writing this. Listen to these words. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1, it says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So now we, now we perk up. And he says, this is the attitude that you are supposed to have, because this is the attitude that's in Christ. And what is this attitude? Listen to this humility. Who? although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's God. Is what, let me make that very clear, is what this is meaning. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. <laughs> There's so much in that one verse that this God, the God of the world, the God of the universe, empties himself and leaves heaven to be born in the most lowly of means in a manger in Bethlehem. Is that how you would have done it? If you were God, would you have come down with the most glamorous lights, 
the radiance of your glory as you descend down from heaven and say, look at me, I am God. We say, I would never do that. We as humans are arrogant and we have nothing to be arrogant for. Don't, I find it hard to believe that the majority of us wouldn't be like, let's come in and all the show and the glory. But this God was leading by example. He empties himself and takes on the form of a bondservant. He lowers himself to the likeness of men. And he's born in a manger. In a town. Just so happened to be the house of bread. Because he would be the living bread. He took on the form of man to serve. Do we get that? I don't think our human minds can wrap our head around that. This is humility. That he's taking on the form of you and me. Being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see what's happened there? The Father has sent him for this work. There's the vertical. Then he comes and he reaches out to serve those who he would die for and rescue. And he humbled himself is what the Bible says. What is every verse we've read so far tonight? If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Right? That's what we've read. God, he lifts up the humble. You don't ask for it. He just exalts you. But he takes the proud and he lowers them. It just says that he has humbled himself to the point of death. Now listen to what happens. For this reason also God highly exalted him. There's the humbleness. There's the serving. And here comes the exaltation. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Here comes the two to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the full circle? It's the vertical. It's the horizontal to serve. It's the humility. It's the exaltation. And it's back to the glory of God. This is what is being said. He, he gives us the example. We're to serve others and use our gifts for His glory. Now we're on the last page. Listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11, through it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Here's the big takeaway. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
think that's a nice wrapping up of everything we've talked about so far. That God has given you mercy and grace. Don't be proud about that. That brings you to humbleness. But He's also given you gifts. And when He talks about, in view of God's mercy, bringing your soul and your body back to Him, one of those things that He wants in return is the gifts He's given you. To serve others. Not to serve yourself. Not to be exalted in yourself. Not to get the limelight. That's why He tells us in the Bible so many times, when you give, what are you supposed to do when you give? Don't let the right hand know what the left hand's even given. He's using this metaphor. It is not something where we say, well, I'm doing something for God. I'm a giver. Look at me. Let's make a big show about it. When we give, no one should know we give. It's not about our glory. He says the Pharisees, they stand on the street corners and they pray to be heard. Why? Because they want to exalt their self. He says don't do that. When you pray, get alone. Your gifts and your talents and the things that God has given you to use for His kingdom are not for you. And they're not for me. They're for God. He's given these to you for His glory. That changes the whole perspective of things, doesn't it? We're just not doing it for this. We're not doing it for that. We're doing it for His glory. From Him and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. And whatever gift you've given it, serve one another. The vertical, and then the horizontal, to serve others. Whoever speaks, it is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, it is to do as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. The strength that you have to do these things are from God. Again, I believe the Bible is true when he says that all things are from God. I believe that. I'm gullible enough to believe that. So that in all things, what do you think is going to happen next? If you 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 just heard this, do all these things, why? What do you think the end result of all these things are? Let's see if you're right. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion? How long? Forever and ever. Amen. See, this is what we're called to do. Whether we like it or we don't. We are called to surrender our lives as a sacrifice to God in view of His mercy. And I believe that it is time we begin to reflect on the special gifts, the abilities, the talents that God has given each of us. Some of you may know, and some of you may not, but if you begin to go to God in prayer, and you begin to pray, God, I'm not really sure what you've done for me. I'm not really sure what gift you've given me. I I want to be useful. I want to serve in your kingdom. I want to glorify you. But God, I really don't know. God, I want you to show me. I believe he will. And it may be something you think is so insignificant that's the biggest thing to God. Some of the greatest workers and service people in the churches are the ones you never know about. You know, I remember hearing about Mama 
and I, I was young, so I don't really remember a whole lot of this, but I've always been told that one of Mama's gifts that she would do was that she would write cards or letters to people. That would be her. She, like, she did a lot of things, but one of the things she would write cards and encourage people with that. And as we begin to go on to Sunday of these gifts, do you realize your gift could just be that you are always there when someone's head is low? To cheer them up. To encourage them. And we're going to talk about this on Sunday, but I mean, if you begin to think about, and I heard this the other day, and we'll, again, you get the preview, we'll talk about it on Sunday again. But I heard this one time that this guy was asked to write down the top 10 uh, most um, kind things that anyone had ever said to him and write them down. And he said, then flip the page and write down the most hurtful, the most harmful things that anyone has ever said to you in your life. And he said, oh. He said, as he began to look at this, he saw this one teacher of his their, their name was on there twice. And I never would have thought about it until I wrote it down on the paper. And you never know. If you ask somebody that you've been around, say, hey, write down the top ten most encouraging, helpful things that anyone's ever said to you. What would it make you feel like if your name was on that list? But Taylor, oh man, three years ago, she's got a gift to encourage. And one of the things that changed my life to keep me going is this she told me. Conversely, you don't want to be on the other side of the page. That some of the most hurtful things that have scarred your soul would come out of the mouth of a Christian. You see, it could be as easy as that. Sounds easy, but God has given people the gift of exhortation. That some people just have a way. When someone seems alone, or they're, they're not in a conversation, or they feel like they're an outcast, that they just go and they say, let's talk. You're a part of this. Let me just encourage you. That's a gift of God. It's that small in our mind, but you have no idea what those small things can do when they're used by God. It could be writing cards. It could be encouraging. It could be whatever. God uses everyone differently. But all parts of the body are working for the unity of the glory of God. Think about it. Reflect. He says, begin to think. Give a sober judgment and a, rec a recollection and a thought of your abilities. Galatians chapter 5, we're almost done. Verses 13 through 14. I can almost hear RC in the Ligonier promo in this first part. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see what happens first? The vertical, you were called into this freedom. But that does not mean you stop with the vertical. We are called 
to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word and in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I wrote a few questions down here. And I just want you to stop for a second and think as we begin to put the wheels down, begin to land the plane. What gifts has God given you? Why has God made you like you are and given you the gifts, the calling, and the talents that you have? That's no, that's no accident. It's no accident that I talk all day long and my wife does not. That's for a purpose. I'll tell you one of the greatest gifts that she has, and she, she hates when we even, even begin to say anything kind of her. If you ever want to give her a compliment, she may give you the biggest frown. She doesn't like to have any glory, which is good, but sometimes you need to hear it. One of the greatest gifts that she has is to sit down and to type out responses to people or posts on Facebook. I heard her the other night. This is so cool. We had some people ask us some questions about Reformed theology. And she said, we're going to answer those on the podcast. And the next thing I know, She's on the phone. And she has this way of putting words to get. I can say things, but if you want me to type something out, it's not going to make any sense. I got to have my dot, dot, dots in between each sentence, right? There's no flow in that. But she began to type this thing out. And she began to read it to me. It was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely amazing of this response. And when God lays it on her heart to type these things that sometimes get shared, that's a talent and a gift that she has where she doesn't have to be up front talking in front of anybody. But her words are being used for the glory of God. You see, God gives everyone something different. Some of you are an ear. Some of you are a knee. Some of you are an elbow to the body of God. But all parts are needed for the whole body. And I heard somebody say this one time. What do you think is more important? Your fingernail or your liver? Right? One of those is seen, and one of those is behind the scenes. That's the way it is with God. Sometimes the greatest things are behind the scenes that you never know, but they're pumping and moving and making things work. Are we ever prideful for the gifts? Are we ever prideful in anything? Are we ever ashamed by the lack or the uh, gifts or talents that we feel like we may have? We don't have what that person has. We must never think that because God has given it according to His measure. And if we think that our gifts are not what they should be, then we are in a sense saying, God, you have no idea what you're doing with your creation in my life. You've given them out as you see fit, as your measure, and here I am, the thing that I said we'd never do, what are we now doing? Who are you, O man, to look up to God?
and say, why'd you make me like this? You see how quickly when we're in that salvation portion, yeah, we can't look up and we can't say you made me this way. Yeah, get them. And then we come to our lives and we come to our gifts. We come to our settings. We come to our environment. We come to whatever. And we say, well, God, you had to make a mistake here. No. God is perfect. And the distribution of gifts and the talents is perfect as well. Once saved, we are to present our bodies, ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And this also includes service to others and using the gifts we've been given. The uniqueness and the wide range of gifts and talents that God has given to us makes, is what makes the body of Christ a complete body. There are no missing parts, and all parts are vital for the completion of the body. Here's the one thing we have to know. There's a lot of different parts in the church that make up the body, but there's one part that no one can have claim to. You know what that is? It's the head. Because here's what the Bible says. The head has already been taken. You can be anything from the, from the shoulders down, but you can't be the head of the body. And here's why. In Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses, verse 18, he says this. We'll go to verse 17. Heck, we'll go to verse 13, read down. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. He's the head. Don't go for the head. It's not yours. This is not my church. There's no preacher that has their own church. We are allowed to be shepherds of His church. We are to run things by His orders, not our own, not our denominational, whatever it is. We are not our own. He is the head. He is in charge of the body. And He's distributed to us to work for Him, to bring glory to Him. It's all for His glory. That's why Romans 11.36 is one of my top few verses in the whole Bible. It's everything encompassing. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God involves the gifts and the talents He has given to us to advance His kingdom and to serve others, especially those in the church. So, with that being said, let's finish up Reading, just reading again the first three verses of chapter 12 and see how they flow. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's the key, the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And here's where we'll pick up on Sunday. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. See, we had to set up with verse 3 to get to verse 4. He's saying, don't think highly, don't think lowly. God has given you the gifts. They're for His glory. That's part of your bringing your life as a sacrifice to Him. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank You. God, let it be a sobering reminder that there is nothing that we could ever brag about, boast about. God, there's nothing that we could ever stand in our own merit or there's nothing that we've ever done, Lord, to boast. God, everything we have, from breath to life, to salvation, to justification, to sanctification, to the strength to get by every day, God, is from You. God, You have not only given us the faith to believe for salvation, but God, You are the author of that faith and You are the finisher of that faith. To You be the glory. But God, You've also given us a measure of faith for each of the gifts that You have given us. And God, we ask tonight that You would give us a sobering reminder. God, let us begin to examine thoroughly and properly the roles, the gifts that You have given us. And Lord, if we don't know, we pray that you would begin to show us these things so we can know how that we can properly serve you. God, how we can go to the horizontal. God, we want to surrender our souls, our bodies, our lives to you. We want to bring our gifts and our talents from you back to you, God, and say they're yours. You've given them to us. Now we give them to you back so they can be for your glory. God, please show us these things. And God, please let us always be humble and prefer one another above ourselves as you have shown by example. God, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.